dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I'm sitting down with Kathleen Wilcox, an incredible journalist who writes about food, wine, beer, and pop culture. Her work can be found in Vine Pair, Edible, Capital District, Bust Magazine, and Gastronomica, and on United Stations Radio Networks, just to name a few. She recently co-authored a book titled Hudson Valley Wine, A History of Taste and Terroir, On the episode, we discuss her dedication to expanding people's understanding of sustainability and why it is so important. If you enjoy exploring the wine glass, I'd appreciate you giving me some love by taking two minutes out of your day to swipe, rate, and review on whatever app you are listening on. It is the best way to support the show. Also, if you would like to keep up on everything Exploring the Wine Glass, head over to exploringthewineglass.com and sign up for the newsletter. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. I am your host, Lori, UC Davis graduate, WSET, champagne specialist, Cotteron, and studying for a Spanish wine scholar still. And I am so, so happy to have somebody that I call a friend and a colleague and just an all-around amazing person as my guest today, Kathleen Wilcox. So welcome. I'm so happy to be here. How are you? I am doing well. I am doing well. I'm so happy that we got to be able to do this and it's been, you know, we get to see face-to-face um, as a little replacement for in, in real life, but you know, kind of just through the computer in real life. Exactly. We'll take it. Yes. Yes. So before we get into the interview, honestly, really the most important thing is always what's in our glass. So what are you sipping on tonight? I have a Mariah Vineyards um, Zinfandel from 2016. And they, I actually went there to visit them um, a few weeks ago. And they are in the Anderson Valley, way up on a mountain. Um, and it's a beautiful, such a unique place. And it kind of represents everything. I wanted to drink it tonight because it represents so much about what I am passionate about in wine. Um, they're actually the first land to market certified winery. And that means basically, I mean, it, it, was, uh, an, it was established by the Savoy Institute that certification so it's very new to the wine world but like Patagonia Timberland there are all of these really big other you know corporations who work in agriculture or with some form of I mean Timberland they and actually I while I was at Mariah I learned that Timberland and Patagonia are collaborating on um on using the full animal so basically the skin of the cow will end up on boots. And then in Patagonia, um, or maybe it's not Patagonia, but it's one of the companies, they'll use the meat. So it's basically the very regenerative agriculture and kind of full circle, um, just production. And I really loved the family. Um, I went to visit, they were so passionate and the wine is fantastic. So it's like all the things. Win-win. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. That is awesome. So that's kind of like taking farm to table, you know, on for lack of a better word, on steroids. Exactly. <laughs> making it ma- making it every single thing, every single part of that animal being used so that there's absolutely no waste. Right. And it's the same thing with the wine. They're they're making sure that everything is um they measure, they take kind of a um data point set of the vineyard. So they went in and they measured the soil's fertility to see how many 
microorganisms they were there were and then they took another measurement a year later to see if they could be officially certified and of course they were because they'd met some of their goals that they'd come up with with the certification process so every year they're trying to improve it's not like oh now you're certified and you're done it's really getting better and better and better which is I I mean I find that inspiring and I feel like that's where we need to be in the world of wine right now and the world in general I mean it's a mess right right absolutely I love that I love the fact that more people are actually focusing in on, you know, making, not just taking, but, and and like previously is like, okay, we're not going to take, but we're going to keep our wine, you know, we're going to keep our area good. Right. But now it's like, no, good isn't good enough. Now we want to make it better. And we're not going to rest on our laurels that we did this last year and we're done. We're going to make it better and better and better. Right. And that's, I mean, Jackson Family Wines, like the bigger wineries are doing it too. Their whole um, roadmap to Rooted for Good um, program where they're trying to be carbon positive by 2050. I mean, there are large and small wine companies now that are really, really making an effort to improve the quality of the vineyard and the quality of their workers' lives. And we need that. We need that. And what's in your glass? So I am drinking Albino Armani. Lovely. Pinot Grigio. Very and nice. It is, it is lovely. And I don't want to speak out, but I am pretty confident they are sustainable. Also yeah. From their I feel like they are too. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a it's a pretty important feature of the DOC. So I would I would assume so also. But they are. They are one of my favorite Pinot Grigios. Um, I just think that they're every wine. I haven't had a wine from them that I've disliked. I agree. They're great. They're all wonderful. They all are wonderful. So I can raise a glass and say slancha and thank you for coming on and welcome. Thank you. So there is so much to talk about with, with what you do. I, I, read like your articles that you write and everything. And honestly, it blows my mind at how well you can keep on track and write all of these articles. Because like, I start writing an article, and then 50,000 things pop in my head. And I'm like, Oh, look, a squirrel. And then the article doesn't get written for a week later, or whatever. And you and you are constantly writing, but it's not it's, it's not like you're pumping out. I'm, I'm going to compare you and forgive me, you know, writing gods up there, but I'm going to say a name. Um, so like Janet Ivanovich is an author that I don't know if you're familiar with, but I loved her books. And right. she wrote like one for the money, two for this, three for that. And it was about a bounty hunter in New Jersey, but she was a female bounty hunter. And she was kind of like a hot mess. And it's a comedy type thing. Right. Right. So I loved it because it took place in Jersey. A lot of the things that she was writing about, I knew. So it brought it in, you know, one, two, three was great. By the time she got to like 13, she was pumping these out, like I think every six months. And they got old and they got Mm. repetitive. And it was like, oh my gosh, she's doing this again. You know, like it just... The quality of the writing to me dropped where you you're writing and it's like, here's an article by Kathleen Wilcox. Here's an article by Kathleen Wilcox. Here's an article by Kathleen Wilcox. But it never ceases to amaze me how beautiful you write, how in-depth you write and how you're able to like the stories you tell. I feel like I'm there. And like, as you're talking about someplace, I feel like I'm there watching this or talking, you know, viewing it for myself through your words. Well, that yeah. is incredibly kind. And I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I am so passionate about telling stories and telling stories through experiencing thing my, things myself, like, you know, going to Mariah Vineyards and I had lunch with the family. It was a beautiful day. We really walked around the vineyard and spent a lot of time talking about that wine. And those are the kinds of experiences that 
inspire different levels of introspection and you can really think about new stories and think of new things in a different way because one thing and i'm sure that you can relate to this um winemakers do things all day every day that they think oh that's completely normal but an outsider is like oh my gosh that is so cool and they're so inspired by it <laughs> So I think that part of the, the key is that I do tr a lot of travel and I hear the stories and I'm interested. I think curiosity is really, um, that's at the root of everything. So I have a question when you, and this probably is, might be different depending on where you're going or what you're writing about. But so like when you visited the winery, did you already have a, a topic in mind of, here's my title, this is what I want to write. Is is that how you approach it? Or does it change depending on what's going on? Or, or once you're there, you're like, here's my article. This is, this is what I'm going to write about. It's usually the latter. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm like, for example, I went to um, Jay Vineyards just very recently to experience um, a very cool dinner series that they're having called Shifting the Lens. And it's about inviting um, a more diverse group of people to the wine table and exploring different flavors. Um, the dinner that I went to was Indian food. And, you know, typically you would think, oh, a sweet wine. No, they did all very, very, very dry wines. It was Chef Pretty Mystery and it was very inspiring. But that's the type of thing where I'll go and I'll say, well, obviously I'm going to write about this. But then other things will happen while I'm there, but most of the time I just go and see and just see what's going on and get to know the people. And then again, it's a lot of times what they think is the story isn't what I think the story is because they think, and you know, I think that I write a lot about sustainability. So people will think they, that I'm going to write a very general story about sustainability. But as you said, that would get really boring for everyone, including mm -hmm. me. So I often just find some little detail that mm -hmm. I didn't, I had no idea I'd find. And so, so let's, let's backtrack and let's find out how did you actually fall in love with wine? How did you come to writing for wine? Because you write about a lot of things, like you're in other magazines and you're in other, you know, um, online and everything. Uh, so how did you find wine? Well, I started writing when I graduated from college and I really struggled with what was going to kind of define my beat for lack of a better term. Um, I tried business writing. I tried writing for women's magazines. I tried music writing. And there was always a big something missing. And I have always loved wine and I've always loved beer and I've always loved, I've loved the culture of um, alcohol and food. So I just started exploring it. And I have to say that the wine industry is by far one of the most welcoming industries I found. I know not everyone feels that way, um, but I really felt like I was home. And I mean, there's everything there. There's business, the environment, there's culture, there's travel, there's personal stories. Um, and that really, that's what interests me. It's just it happens to be in one subject, which I, I feel very lucky to have discovered it and to have stumbled into it during a time when wine was, wine is a welcoming place. Um, and there's, I've never felt, and I, I, every other industry that I've written about other than wine, this has not been the case. But if I don't know something, I don't feel like an idiot. I just ask the question and it's okay. And people understand you can't know everything about wine because there's so much to know. So if you've got kind of a missing gap, people are excited to fill you in. They don't, <laughs> right? you know, they're like, they're going to talk to you all day about it. Which is great. If, if somebody comes up to me at an event or something and says, Cab Franc, I don't know Cab Franc. Oh my God. It's like, exactly. <laughs> it's like my happy day. Well, let me tell you about Cab Franc. You know? Exactly. And I think that's, I mean, winemakers and wine growers tend to be very passionate 
And again, for lack of a better word, geeky intellectual people who get really excited about the thing, the particular area that they excel at. So when I have a question. You, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry to, I know I shouldn't ask questions, but I, I'm curious because I know that you've been such a big advocate for Cobb Franck. When did you start discovering that yourself? Was it always or? No. So um, my husband and I were on a trip to Napa, Sonoma. Right. Uh, on a wine trip. And we walked into this was before the winery. And uh, we walked into William Harrison. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I haven't put the dates together, but I think I just interviewed the winemaker, Zeke Neely, who was the winemaker back then. Um, at that time, but I have to put the dates together to make sure that it's right. Um, but so we walked into William Harrison and uh, the person behind the counter said, you know, she was pouring the wine and then she's like, you know, I have this extra bottle. Wine club members just came in. And uh, so we opened it for them. It's not normally here. Do you want it? Do you want to taste it? And, you know, my husband and I looked at each other. We're like, well, yeah, yes, you know, right. I'm not going to say no to that. So she poured it and we tasted it. And it was if the lights can come shining down and the, you know, the song starts singing and, you know, the birds chirping, it was like an enlightenment movement. Like it was incredible. Awesome. I tasted it. I was like, this is the best wine I have ever had in my life. And I looked at my husband and he's like, wow, this is really good. And we said, well, what is it? And the person behind the counter, the girl behind the counter said, well, it's, it's our Cabernet Franc. And I was like, wow. Oh my God, I don't even know what Cabernet Franc is, but I'm in love with it. Like That's this is, awesome. this is beautiful. So we purchased a few bottles and then we went on a mission, like literally searching for, because my husband is very analytical. He like started researching where we can buy Cab Franc and we totally changed our entire trip that was remaining to wineries that made Cab Franc. Wow. And there were, there actually weren't a lot back then. You right. Know, there wasn't. And so that's how we fell in love with Cab Franc. And then for Dracaena Wines, why we focused on Cab Franc is, you know, I, I tell the the truth about it. You know, you're in Paso you, and we're this big, right? We're super tiny and there's for Paso giants, right? We're not going to compete with the Zinfandels. I can't compete right. against the Tobin James, against the Jay Ducies and about, you know, with that type of thing. And I don't want to do... Okay, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I don't want to do a cab solve, right? right. And, right. you know, so what What are we going to do? So on that realm, we're like, you know what? Let's pick our own little niche. Let's pick out something that is us. So we stand out. So that was kind of the business model. And then on the sidebar was, well, if nobody's going to drink it or buy it, we're going to have a lot of wine. Right. <laughs> so we might right. as well make something that we like. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, luckily it got a 91 in wine enthusiasts and sold out and we've been mm -hmm. selling out every vintage. So we don't really get to drink a lot of our own, but that's how the, that's how it came about. This William Harrison Cab Franc just blew me away and, and that's it. And then in terms of that, I just want to promote the grape because it's such an right. underrated grape variety. So that's, I, you know, that's where I call myself the champion of Cab Franc. I, it's like, I, you know, let's promote this. Let's promote this. So, you know, it's, it's a, if it's a passion, you just fall in love with something, right? Right. Right. And I think it really distinguishes you. So, and your winery, which is yeah. wonderful. It's good Thank for, you. that's the thing that I don't think all wineries understand is that if if they have a hook it doesn't matter how good you are it doesn't matter how beautiful your label is how sustainable you are if no one's buying your wine I mean so I think that that's a really I don't know if that was part of your intention probably not but that is wonderful because people know you for that yeah we that uh, when I started Cab Franc Day it was literally because we were just releasing our first Cab Franc Right. So I started. I never would have thought that it tre it would trend, and I would have never thought that it would be where it is today. Where I've gotten to travel to Hungary, and I've gotten to speak in front of communities about it, and um, I I would have never, you know, I would have never thought that. But I'm proud that that's where it is. So.
I'm yeah. I'm thrilled for you too. Well, thank you. But I'm going to turn the table back to you. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. so <laughs> your your passion is sustainability. Yes. Right. And so I think can you explain what what you define as sustainability? Because I think that there's some confusion between sustainability and maybe organic and some other terms that get thrown out there. My definition um, is evolving. Um, so I definitely um, prefer it if everyone is organic, but I also am a realist and I understand that not everyone and not every climate can be completely organic. And I also think that there is an argument that if you are in a climate that is really rough, um, spraying a lot of copper and a lot of the organic pesticides and fungicides and everything can be just as damaging, if not more so than spraying once or twice a very, not a harmful pet. I mean, because I, I'm not suggesting anyone sprays Roundup. I, you know, I think that like, there are some things that if it's outlawed in Europe, I really don't think Americans should be spraying it either. Right. <laughs> we're not as strict as Europe, but we, I wish we were. Right. Um, but I also think that there's what we were talking about before. There's you, let's say you're spraying Roundup in the vineyard. You are going to have very degraded soil. You're going to have weak grapes. So if you go from that to being biodynamic overnight, you're going to, you know, your yield is going to be slashed by two thirds. You're going to go broke. So I think that there is something to be said for steps, taking steps towards being more sustainable and just continuing to push yourself. I also think it's more than just in the vineyard. Um, I was at a, a lunch today that was California Wine Institute. It was a virtual, and I call it lunch because it was 1 p.m. my time, um, but it was 10 a.m. Uh, their time. And all of the wineries were talking about, you know, building, some of them were working on lightening their um, bottles so that they reduce the carbon footprint for transportation. Some of them were building more eco-friendly wineries. Some of them were working on water filtration. So there are so many different ways. And I also think it's important to be economically sustainable, which goes into the whole like going from spraying Roundup to being biodynamic overnight isn't necessarily, unless you have a lot of trust fund, then go for it. Um, and also supporting employees because we all know what that's like. We've all, I mean, you don't get into the wine business to, you know, become a millionaire, basically. Right. You get into it because you love doing what you're doing and often that that does entail some sacrifices. So um, I think it's important when um, winemakers take care of their employees and maybe give them vacation and sick days if they can and, you know, just keep the conversation open and equitable. And that's, that's what I like the most about the whole concept of sustainability is that it's not a single entity. Right. It's, you know, you, you start off with, um, I forget what that diagram is called, but like it starts off with this and then it like rays out into all of the different arms, you know, like right. an octopus of everything. It's not just taking care of the soil, you know, taking care of the soil is extremely important, but taking care of, you know, the carbon footprint when you're trying to ship or when you're trying to do this. And most importantly, the people. Yeah. And treating the people well and respecting them for what they do and rewarding them appropriately for the role that they have, no matter how trivial of a role it may seem, it's a huge role in the big picture if you want to make a quality wine that is well, you know, that's well respected. Absolutely. And one thing that I hear again and again from winemakers who are trying to become greener is they talk to the people in the cellar. They talk to the workers in the vineyard and they say, how can we, how can we do better? And all of a sudden they're realizing, okay, the people in the cellar are trying to save water, but we're having them wash out, you know, the tanks in this way, which is totally not sustainable. So often talking to the people who are actually doing the work is you're going to come up with much better solutions together 
and they're going to feel empowered and they're going to feel like they're a part of the solution. And then they're going to want to implement the changes, even if it takes them more time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can, if you can include the people who are doing the work, because I don't think there's anybody who ever wants to be in a job that feels like nobody listens to them or, you know, understands what they're going through. Like, it's funny, as an educator, we, you joke, you know, well, you know, a teacher then becomes a principal and they totally forget all of the stuff that they had issues with when they were teaching, because now they're, you know, they're a principal or a superintendent or something, and they start doing things to the teachers that they would have hated if they were teachers. So you have to continuously be reminded of what it's like to be in whatever it is. And, you know, the people who are working in the cellar, they're the ones who best understand the cellar and the people who are in the vineyard best understand the vineyard. Yes, 100%. And also I think, and I know that this is something that is becoming bigger for everyone is giving women opportunities and giving you know, LGBTQ people and giving people who might be differently abled access because, and, you know, not just white people, like, let's, let's not make it so white. Um, Because the wine industry is not going to grow if it's just a certain one type of person, because that's not right. 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 Absolutely. So part of it, the bottles, the bottles have driven me crazy since long before we owned the winery and then more <laughs> since we've owned the winery. I can only imagine. Like it drives me crazy. And I, I get there's certain, you know, certain wineries who shall not be named um, believe that luxury means heavy bottle. And I have always tried to preach nicely to my friends that a bottle weight does not mean quality. Right. Absolutely nothing. All that means quality is really what you're drinking in the bottle. Is it a good wine or is it not a good wine? Right. That's, that's what the quality, how you get to that is a different story, but you either like what's in the bottle or you don't like what's in the bottle. It doesn't matter how heavy the bottle is. Right. And then I try to explain to them if that bottle weighs so much money, all you're doing is really paying for it twice because, right? right? Because that bottle costs more money and today is even more insane with the bottle cost. But the the bottle is so heavy that it's costing the winery more money to purchase that bottle. That cost of goods gets wrapped up into how much they're going to sell that bottle for. So the consumer is paying for that heavy glass. And then unless you're picking it up at the winery, you're also paying to ship it to you. Right. And that heavier glass is significantly more expensive to ship than other glass. So I keep trying to tell the consumers you're paying for that twice and it doesn't change what's in the bottle. It doesn't. And, you know, shipping is a real headache. I know that you get as many samples as I do. And I am sometimes really shocked by the organic wineries who are sending me things in styrofoam. I mean, which, and I actually just discovered, I did not know this. You can recycle styrofoam. So now I've got a pile of styrofoam in my basement. There are different, they're very specialized facilities. So you have to drop them off. So um, I'm going to wait till I have enough to make it worth the car drive. So it's, I mean, it, it is kind of ridiculous, but that's, that was a fact that I learned, and I was so excited. From um, the winemaker at Remy Wines told me that, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, because I was babbling about styrofoam, and she said, you know, you can recycle it. And um, I, I looked it up, and you can you can absolutely recycle it. So Wow. Well, so I'll share a little bit. Um, if I get a sample that's in styrofoam, and let's say it's a two-pack or something. Right. If we're going to ship out to Indracina, if we're going to ship out, we will reuse that. Well, that's good. But yeah. I write a note. <laughs> this is how I, I write a awesome. note. I write a hand so note like, to the person. We're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm I sp- very specifically say, we are very, you know, we are very adamant about protecting the earth and recycling and doing everything. 
Please note, this is a recycled shipper. We've received this from another winery and we feel the best way to you know, help the environment is to pass it on. Please keep it and turn it into somebody else if you're going to send something, you know, like that's pass it on. Hard. Yeah. So, so that that's what we do if we get styrofoam. Uh, but I didn't know you can recycle it. And now a word from our sponsor. Dracaena Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows that. I mean, my husband works for the DEC and he didn't know and he he was really surprised. So I, I let's spread the word. Yes, I'll have to look up where a local where a local uh, place is for us to how far it is for us to do to find a place that recycles styrofoam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we completely. I mean, we never use styrofoam ever. But mm-hmm. I I just I just feel if I have it and if somebody ships it to me, oh, I'd yeah. rather reuse it than, you know. Um, but I I don't know. I I guess you know the styrofoam works kind of now in the summer months. Yeah. Um. So you know, because you can put the ice pack and you know right. it's got. So I, I get it there, but when it's not the summer, I don't get why people are using it. But now that I know you can recycle it, I will definitely look for a place that, that you can. Right. Cause well, yeah. you know, you're getting more, you know, you're getting more. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So back to uh, sustainability, you were part of writing um, the slow wine guide. Yeah. And um, I did not I do not have this year's book, but I do have previous books and I've had the opportunity. I happened to be in New Jersey when Slow Wine was traveling through New York. Oh, cool. A few months ago. Yeah. I don't know. Time flies. I know. But I was able to go to the event. But can you explain what Slow Wine is and why you feel it's an important aspect? Sure. So Slow Wine is kind of an outgrowth of Slow Food, which was created in Italy. Um, I can't tell you exactly when. I feel like it was the 1970s, but don't quote me on that. Um, And basically, the whole premise is everything that we've been talking about. Just respecting the earth, not spraying a lot of chemicals on your food, eating and drinking locally, supporting your community. And it all... It's, it's a holistic kind of program. And so Slow Wine, I think, is a wonderful program. They're spreading. I mean, it's fairly new in the U.S., um, but it it's becoming a bigger and bigger program everywhere. And basically what we do is we look, and I, I'm not involved this year because I have too many things going on, but every chapter, so I was part of the New York chapter, We'll go out and we'll send wineries. I mean, we'll call them and we'll say, would you like to participate in this? And basically, if they are not spraying chemicals, if they are doing the right thing um, in the cellar and in the vineyard, we include them in the book. And basically, it's a very, um, it's a guide. So it's not, you know, it's not a lot of creative writing, but it's really helpful for the consumer because you have a guide then of where to go in California, where to go in Oregon, Washington, all of most of the places where they make wine in the U.S. that, um, you know, is organic. And it has a guide on, um, 
you you give awards for really excellent wine, you give awards for really eco-friendly wine, and you give awards for affordable wine. Like if it's if it's affordable for what it, you know, the QPR basically. Right. Um and it's a great opportunity to get to know wineries in your area because I don't know about you, but I feel like in some ways I travel and get to know wineries outside of New York much more than I do in my, and it's, it's a shame. So I was really excited to have the opportunity to speak to like-minded folks in New York and just kind of take their temperature and find out what they were, what they were doing, what they were excited about. And ideally um, the writers go out and visit the wineries, but with COVID it wasn't always possible. So people did it on zoom a lot, which, you know, works, works too. Works what it does do. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, I, I, I view it as kind of like a tour guide. Yes. For people as you're going to a region, if, if, this is something that's important to you, which I'm hoping more and more and more people it is important to, right? That this is kind of like, all right, well, let me see. I can support Winery A that I see in every magazine, that I see in every, you know, possible thing because of all the marketing, all the all that they have. Or let me look through here and maybe I can support a local place that really pays attention to sustainability and making sure that everything is done well for the environment and the people. Absolutely. It's so, it's so inspiring. And I think that actually being involved in slow wine makes people really excited about what they're doing and they're excited to share the story. And then they know that they're going to be attracting visitors who are really passionate about not just wine, but about their values. And I think that it, I mean, wine, we have what, well over 10,000 brands now in the US, um, which is kind of hard to believe. And so a lot of times these, these brands are very specific and you can build kind of just like you have with Cobb Frank, a cult following around either your identity, the grapes that you produce, um, or your values. So it's, it's kind of a great, it's a, another marketing tool. I mean, I hate to say that, but it is, if, um, wineries do want to get involved, I would definitely suggest. And as long as you're not, as long as you're growing, um, grapes organically and treating the vineyard correctly, and you can prove that and show that and talk about it, um, I would definitely recommend reaching out to Slow Wine and getting listed if you're not already involved. And I, I do. I think it, you know, if you're traveling, you can reach to the guide and you can say, okay, I'm here. Which right. wineries are do I want to support because they're doing things the right way? Right. Like when I was in my 20s and I was backpacking, it would be, you know, the Lonely Planet. And now right. it's Slow Wine. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic i like i like that <laughs> so it evolves i don't know what's next i'm kind of scared but we'll see <laughs> so while you're traveling because you have you as you mentioned you travel quite a bit and so i won't make you say your favorite place because that's just really really difficult and i understand that that's not a wise thing to say um but so where is one where is one place that you visited that you you were surprised by how incredible the region was versus like, like you know like sometimes you have this mindset and then you get there and you're like whoa this is so much better than what i had in my mind even though you're it was great in your mind bordeaux which I mean, how could it be like, I pictured the Disneyland version of Bordeaux. So I pictured the Grand Cru and the vast estates. And I mean, they're, they were there and they're gorgeous, but there was also just such a hardcore scene that was so passionate about making wine that isn't super expensive the winemakers were opening up their homes to visitors. They let people camp in their vineyards. They have chicken all over. They have um, trees in the vineyards now. They have agroforestry in the vineyards wow. to increase shade and to increase biodiversity. Like they're radical, which is not what I expected. I did not expect tattooed 
winemakers from right you ex you expect the tie the yeah. suit and exactly. the right yeah and they were really cool like they were really rock and roll and I mean that is not what I expected in Bordeaux so yeah. that was and the wine is phenomenal I mean it's Bordeaux so I will ask do you have do you are you uh do you prefer right or left bank that's it's so hard I mean it depends it really depends on what I'm drinking I'd say I I'd say often right bank what about you well <laughs> <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, when I walked, when we visited St. Demion, I was flabbergasted. Like I was so like almost tears came. Like, it was for, it was just so emotional for me to be there. And I can't really explain why it just was so beautiful there. And I just, everything, the, the, buildings and the people walking around and the wineries that we visited in St. Demion just I like I just walked around and I was in awe and that's not to say that the other because we visited all of the main all of the main areas and we we tasted wines and everything was amazing when I was there but there was just something about St. Demion that stole my heart just, I agree I mean stole my heart. like I, the whole time I was there and I mean, I was raised Catholic, but I'm not a big churchgoer. Um, it, but I felt like I was in the wine Holy land and I was just like, I'm, I'm here. And there was just such an amazing spirit of just beauty and appreciation for everything and taking it easy and taking it slow. And I think as an American who really is, kind of always in a rush. I'm always in a rush. It was really important for me to experience that. So it was cool. Yeah, it it really, it was incredible. It was incredible. And now I'm going to ask, so is there a wine region that you like dream about and that you absolutely want to visit that you haven't visited yet? There are so many. Um, there's one on my list that I'm supposed to go to um, in the fall that I'm really excited about is South Africa. I mean, <gasps> oh my gosh. Like bucket list dream. Um, I am so excited and I am so inspired by the winemakers in South Africa um, and just how far they've come and the social change and just everything that they're doing is really inspiring. And I can't wait to taste it in person. Um, but I mean, New Zealand, Australia, China, I would, I'd be, I'm very curious about China. Um, that's a, they're doing some very interesting things over there um, with wine. I don't think there are going to be any press trips in my future to China, but, <laughs> um, you know, but, but there are just so many places to that are making wine now and I mean you mentioned Hungary before that's another that's another place that's just fascinating um it's that beautiful. I yeah I'm sure and such an interesting history yeah I um when we were there I actually uh well funny wise so because you know we had we we're all about the Weimar honor dog here right and um in Hungary there's a Vishla which is the cousin it's, it basically is a Hungarian Weimaraner, right? Except it's kind of rusty color versus the Aww. gray. And so when when we found out we were going to Hungary, all I kept saying is, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to actually see a Hungarian Vishla. I want, Aww. like, this, this is like the stupid things that I do when I'm on trips, right? right. Like, you know, right. Um, I'm in Alaska and all I wanted to do was find a moose. You know, ah. like, these, these are the things. But you that's, know. yeah, I can relate. <laughs> Right. Um, so we were in Hungary for a week and didn't see a single Vishla, not a single one. And I was so upset. And we were there the last day that we were there. We were we were in Villeneuve and we were being hosted by um, Bach. And we were walking from there to the winery that we were going to start at. And it was our last day. And all of a sudden, this beautiful female Vishla came running across oh, the street no. and came running up to me. And I'm like, the elusive Hungarian Vishla. She knew oh. I needed to see her. That's so sweet. That's <laughs> I love it when that happens. And I feel like that happens on wine trips. You're just like, 
oh, you know, yeah. this miraculous yeah. moment. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I was so happy. We have loads of pictures with the Vishla. Did um, your husband go too? Yes. Oh, yes. Awesome. They, they, they brought both of us over to, um, so they do their great variety is Capronk. That's what they're resting their, their laurels on. And they were doing a, a symposium called Franck and Franck. Oh, and okay. they brought us over to for me to talk about Cab Franc Day and how to promote Cabernet Franc as itself. And they brought him as a winemaker and to discuss Cab Franc in California and how it's emerging and how we literally science wise, how we make it and things like that. Um, so we we brought Dracina Wines was over and they wanted another winery. So we reached out to Lang and Reed. Oh, and cool. We, yeah. And we brought some, we brought their wine with us over there and we poured at the symposium. I love Lang and Reed. Yeah. They've, they've got some good stuff. Yeah, do they you, do. And, and again, another, and I'll stop asking questions, but do you, are you friends and kind of colleagues and do blind tastings with some of the winemakers in your area or is that because I know some places it's more of a thing than others it is it is a big thing um in Paso there are groups in Paso but we don't actually we we're just starting to kind of migrate to live in Paso right Um, but yeah so it is kind of a thing and I can't wait to start doing that um officially uh there was a um Nita from um, LXV was talking and they, they host these things and they were just doing a Syrah one um, for all these people. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. But I have, you know, now what we do is we'll go to places and we'll, you know, we'll meet with the winemaker that's for that winery and then we'll pour our Cap Franc and we talk about it. Um, But we haven't done, we haven't participated in an actual group one, but I can't wait to you know, when we're officially living there, it will happen. Yeah, absolutely. It will happen. Um, but Hungary, you'd love it. It's absolutely beautiful there. Um, and so much history. And the, the thing that blew my mind, and this is just my stupidity, uh, or, or lack of understanding outside the United States. (laughs) Um, the, the revolution, you know, quotes revolution that occurred there or, and, you know, the whole Russian thing coming in and everything like in my head, I knew about it, but in my head, that was so, so long ago. Right. And, you know, when, when we visited it, it, you know, you're talking like 30 years ago, this happened, you know, like I was alive when this happened, you know, and that, that hit me very strongly about how these people have fought through this and you know we walked past buildings and there were gunshot holes in the buildings and you know we went into the museum the underground museum that talked about what happened in the square and you know you walk past the river and there's the 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 bronze shoes that represents the people and like I that I that's what I love about travel because we don't have that here we're so new, you know, like, like, you know, and I know that happened, you know, like 30 years ago, but they're so rich in their traditions in other countries. They respect their history, I think more so than we do here. Yeah. And I think they've been through, I mean, although the last few years politically have been very traumatic. So maybe we'll look back on this as kind of a really big time of upheaval, Um, but I feel like in Europe, I mean, I remember when the pandemic hit, I would speak to European winemakers versus American winemakers and European winemakers were almost like, they weren't laughing about it. They were taking it seriously, but they were saying, look, we've been through multiple depressions, multiple wars, world wars. I mean, we've been, um, ruled over by dictators. Um, and yeah, they emerge unscathed and they expected to emerge unscathed from COVID too. And of course they did. Um, and I think that that, I think you're right. They have a real long view that I think we lack here. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one of the reasons why I love traveling to just see and hear their stories. I was crying in Hungary for, well, first, 
I was laughing, crying, but the we were tasting another wine, another Cab Franc at a dinner, and the wine, the owner, winemaker, was sitting right next to me, spoke zero English, zero English, and I, of course, spoke no Hungarian. Right, and so tasted his wine, and it was so good. It was such a good wine. I took out my phone. I went to Google Translate. <laughs> I typed in what I wanted to say about his wine, translated it into Hungarian or Google translated it into Hungarian. And I handed him my phone. Right? Oh, that is so great. And he read it and he was like, <gasps> he was so excited that like, this is what I thought of his wine. And I'm like, I'm like really a nobody, but okay, I'm glad you're, ha you know, whatever. But he right. was so, so happy that I enjoyed it. He starts hitting his wife next to him you know, Aww. and she's in a conversation and she's like, ah, you know, whatever. And he hit, keeps hitting her. She turns she's like, what? You know, I, what I'm assuming was what? Right. right. And he hands her my phone Aww. and she reads it and she just stops the conversation. And then luckily another person who was on the trip could, you know, could, could translate for us. Right. And, you know, he, he told us what they were saying. And it was such an, it was such a great moment to talk to these winemakers and for, you know, to let them know that their stuff was appreciated. It was so, it was so incredible. Um, and then we're in this business, right? Those moments. What? That's why we're in this business. Those moments. Yeah. It just, yeah. it brings you so much closer to someone who is really practically so far away from your everyday life. It's really right. Right. And then I'm going to wrap that back to you in terms of my previous question of knowing what you want to write about or whatever. Like, I know that sometimes I'm sitting at an event or whatever, and I kind of have in my head what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden I'm like, ding, like they say something. And I'm like, no, that's what I'm going to write about. Exactly. Exactly. Because I mean, if I'm going to a certain region, of course, I'll do some reading and research and I'll think, okay, generally these are the topics, but sometimes it's just not even close to what I end up writing about, which is great. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's always, there's a story and then there's the story that's under the story. Yes. And that's often the, the marketing team doesn't always know what the winemaker is going to say, which can be good and can be bad, can be bad. <laughs> right. um, but sometimes they don't even know the full, the full extent of what, you know, the winemaker is doing because they just don't talk about it because they don't think it's relevant. They just think it's, oh, of course I do, you know, I do this in the vineyard. Of course I do. I plant these esoteric cover crops. But really, to anyone else, it's fascinating. Right. Right. Absolutely. So if if sustainability is your top, you know, this is really your heart, soul, this is what you are, what, what else piques your interest about wine? What, what else do you love about wine? I like learning about the business of wine, which is not, it, it sounds really dry, but I think that that is fascinating. Like what I just wrote an article for a wine industry advisor about the um, sales trends. So basically Rosé is doing really well online and in tasting rooms. Other, other grapes and right. And of course it is spring, but other grapes and varieties aren't really selling except at events where, you know, people are so excited to be there. And like, like you say, that's when they get to try the wine that the Cobb Franc that you'd never tried before. And then they, you know, become lovers of it forever and they buy a case or whatever. Um, but so I'm interested in also the demographics, who's buying what, why, and trying to understand what that says more broadly about, wine and just the world and what's happening because often the way people choose to spend money says a lot about things that are happening in their hearts and you know broadly in in their in the bank I mean luxury wine is way up because people who have cash to spend you know 100 plus dollars on wine aren't hurt right now but for people who spend 15, 20 bucks on wine, they might not be spending that money on wine. They might be spending it on gas. And, you know, right. so. that's, that's an amazing point. Cause like right now cash is worthless. So those people who have a lot of it 
are looking to spend it however they possibly can and they're not being harmed by anything. And you're right, those who those who are stretching for that $15, $20 bottle of wine right now need to put it towards, you know, something else so that they can survive. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so also you have a whole other sidebar. I don't know how you find the time, but outside the bottle. Yes. Thinking outside the bottle. So that's with Robin Shreves. Um, Who I adore. I know. (laughs) She's a dear friend and a colleague now. And we, um, we launched it with the goal of turning it into a writing um, outlet, which we've actually kind of let up on. We're doing less posting of, independent articles, but we do have clients and we work together on crafting content for them. And it's been really fun. And it's, it feels sometimes as a writer, a little bit lonely, um, especially if you're not in a uh, part of a publication. So it's really nice. Today, we were just texting back and forth about just stupid things. Like, oh, this is annoying. Oh, this, uh, you know, my child did this, my, you know, (laughs) so you just have someone to like, it's like a water cooler type of situation too. And it's nice. And so what, so you're doing marketing for businesses? Like it, what? Yeah. So basically if a winery and we're very reasonably priced unsurprisingly, because we're used to getting paid as writers, not as PR (laughs) people. So basically if people don't have the, budget to do like a full-blown massive PR campaign, but they still want experienced writers who know what they're doing and kind of know how to craft copy. We'll help them with that. Okay. Excellent. And and so where can people like find you to follow you? Like how can, can they sign up so that they get blasted when you write one of your amazing articles? Well, the best way to follow me is on Instagram. So at Kathleen Wilcox with two L's on Instagram. And I usually publish all my pieces on Instagram. I try to. And, and, but but you don't, you don't actually have. I don't. Yeah. An actual website now. And, but they can, they can follow uh, thinking outside the bottle also. Correct. Yes, absolutely. 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 So I, I am so um, like I said at the beginning, you blow my mind with how much you write and how well you write. And I literally read your articles and I'm like, that is so well read that I mean, written, that is so well written. And that is so, so I aspire to like, I read your stuff to try to learn. I'm not gonna... <laughs> well, that's why we all do it. I really enjoyed your piece on Texas. And, and oh, thank you. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I mean, that's, I love reading my friends and my colleagues pieces and I always learn something. It's really, it's a cool, we're very lucky to have such a great group of fellow writers and colleagues because again, you can't, there's not one publication or one writer who can cover it all. So it's really, it's great to just read widely, I think. And it's it, for the most part, it's a very nice community. People yes. are very open. People are very willing to help each other. And um, it's and that, I think, correlates also to the wine world. I mean, that's one of the things that we love about Paso so much is, you, you know, if we have a question, you know, that we don't know the answer to or whatever, you just reach out to another winemaker in Paso and they're more than happy to help. You know, here you go. This is what you do. Oh yeah. This happened to me five vintages ago. This is what you do, you know? And that's, that's what, you know, community is about. And I think it's wonderful. Absolutely. Paso is a great place. I need to get back there. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. you. Yes, absolutely. And you can stay. We have the condo now, so you can even stay with us. Um, But I would, I would love to show you the places we go. Yeah. The little, the little, you know, little wineries in the nooks and crannies of Paso that we, that we love going to. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and taking an hour out of your very, very busy schedule. And I appreciate it. And for everything you've done for me, I appreciate it also. And um, so I will raise my glass again and say thank you for joining me. And, Sancha. and it's right back at you.
Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. Special, so very, very special. You are so special. You even in the Bible.